This podcast is produced by Clarence Valley Community Church. If you benefit from our ministry and you would like to support us, details can be found at our website, cvcc.com.au. There you can also find out more details about our church. Lord, I pray that you would um, still our hearts. We thank you that you are here with us now. Lord, we thank you that by your spirit we have... We have access to you. You hear our prayers. And Father, now I'm asking that you would speak through me, through your word. That, Lord, we would take and drink deep today of what you have to say to us, Father. And that, Lord, you would give me what you would have for your people. Lord, what a blessing it is to be here, to meet, and to enjoy each other's company, and to get around you and your word. Thank you for our time of worship, and thank you for this service. In Jesus' name, amen. So our message today will be coming from Luke 13, verses 10 to 30. It's a bit of a, a, bit of a challenging one, and there's going to be a bit of context involved to understand uh, this passage. One thing I love about the Scriptures is... You can never just sort of isolate something and pull it out and then that's, that's what it means and you just hold to whatever it says directly there. But like any good book, you need to understand the context. You need to understand the inner workings of what's going on with the author to get the full picture. And so today we're going to do that from Luke 13, starting at verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one, of the in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hand on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant. Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, don't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again he asked, What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, 
you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I, di- I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, We ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you yourselves are thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their place at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. All right, now that was quite a mouthful and I promise it's going to make sense by the end if you don't already get where Jesus is going here. We see how the picture starts for Jesus where there is a woman who is about 18 years old. She's bent over, some spinal problem. She can't straighten her back. What a horrible existence. I see this in nursing homes often, but you could imagine this poor, young, 18-year-old girl, and she is, she is a cripple. Now, Jesus does what Jesus does. He goes up, he heals this girl. The reason Jesus does a lot of his miracles is to point to the fact that something greater than Moses is here, something greater than Jonah and all the other prophets is here and now. No work of God has come out of anybody else like Jesus. He can calm the storms. He can raise the dead. And this was done for a reason so that when we look at this, even 2,000 years later, it makes us pause. It makes us stop and go, okay, hang on. God's doing something here, and I need to be aware of what that is. But all too often in this day and age, what did we have? We had people, especially religious leaders and and those who are rich and powerful, they were coming up against Jesus because they knew that he was trying to break their system, a worldly system, to establish the kingdom of God. We've got to understand this was Israel's job from the very start. They were there to establish the kingdom of God on earth. Look how great God is. That was their job. But Jesus comes along and they aren't ready. They're nowhere near ready. And so the, the religious teachers here in the synagogue, they hypocritically say, whoa, 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 this girl, you should come back. You've got six days to be healed. And here you are coming on our Sabbath and it's our law that you don't get healed on the Sabbath. Now, obviously, that's not a real law. That's something they've made up. Jesus didn't do anything wrong, but I just want to put it in perspective. I just want to put it in perspective. For 936 days, that's how many Sabbaths are along the 18-year mark, these men were untying an animal of burden that was bound, so it's bound down, it's tied up, it can't get away, and they, they thought, well, it's mercy for us on the Sabbath to untie that donkey, that ox, and lead it to water. That's merciful, so you're allowed to do that. But how hypocritical when Jesus comes along, he unbinds her back and yet here they are having a a complaint at Jesus because it wasn't so much the miracle, but they were sick of what he was doing. The people are chasing after him. It even says that the people were marveling at the end of this interaction, but they themselves were humiliated because they saw the hypocrisy when Jesus pointed it out. But then that leads us immediately into the kingdom of God. Why does Jesus talk about the kingdom of God? I believe it's this, the people 
were marveling at what Jesus was doing. And honestly, if I, if I saw the same things that they were seeing, you're following Jesus around. If you're one of the 12, you'd be thinking the kingdom of God is probably coming like next week. Like, look at what he's doing. How much better could it get? One word and he could strike Rome down. Like, this guy is so powerful. He commands the elements. He can rip Rome out from under them, uh, all the power that they have, and we could be the established rule. That true kingdom that we should have had, he's going to bring it about. But Jesus says, no, this is not the way that I'm going to be bringing about the kingdom of God. It's not going to happen the way that you would like it to happen. It's going to happen my way. And what are the two examples he gives? Well, we get a tiny little mustard seed, and it's going to start there. And it's going to grow and grow and grow, so much so that animals are going to be able to find shelter under its leaves. It doesn't really sound like it's going to happen tomorrow if we've got to wait for a whole tree to grow. And then the other one is quite interesting. Uh, You could imagine someone who's pressing a little bit of yeast through about 27 kilos of flour and just pressing that through and getting that all the way through it. That's going to take a lot of time. That feeds about, I think in this day and age, about 100 people. You make 100 loaves out of 27 kilos of flour. And so Jesus is answering the question for those that were marveling at that time. They, they saw what Jesus did. He's just, he just humiliated the religious leaders. And now, and now they're thinking, okay, kingdom of God. And Jesus says, no, wait, be patient. So what do we see here? It's going to potentially grow quite slow, the kingdom of God. But it's eventually going to be really, really big. Maybe a good way to explain it might be this way. The people thought that like an eclipse, the sun was just going to pop out from behind the moon and there's the kingdom of God and job done. But a way I was trying to think through this is probably more like a progressive firework where Jesus has lit the fuse. He's exploded into this world. He's giving light to all who come to him and believe upon his name. He's giving them light and we're progressively going out further and further into the dark night. We're going further and further and further out. It's going to take a a bit of time but it's going to get bigger as it goes out. And this is what the life we've been called to, where where one of those particles of light that Jesus has called into his kingdom. So the question is, what is the heavenly kingdom of God? Because he says, "This this is going to be the kingdom of God. This is how it's going to be revealed, but we may as well reflect upon what the kingdom of God is like currently in heaven. Well, First of all, that's where God dwells. We can all agree on that. Heaven is where God's people are together. Fair enough. It's a place where we love, praise, worship, and serve God together. It's a place where we serve and encourage one another. It's going to be wonderful. I can't wait. I can't wait. It's a place where God is revered and his word and works are remembered. We're just going to do that. It's going to be all the time. But Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God here on earth. That's, that's really great. We can't wait. We're living for that moment when we hear the words of the Lord say, good and faithful servant, enter into your master's rest. That's, that's what we live for. We've got our eyes set towards the kingdom. But where's the kingdom on earth? The first thing I'd love you to do is point your finger at yourself. 
Then I want you to look around. Look at other people in this room. And then look down at the floor. See, because we've got, we've got something happening here. We have God dwelling in us at the moment. God dwells in heaven. We're going to be surrounded by each other in that place. And so, we can look around. We're here. We're gathered. And also, where? Well, we're in the place where people gather, in the church. It's an incredible blessing to see that the idea that Christ had for the kingdom growing and going forth like that, like that light that radiates from a firework is through the church. And it's quite, I guess, pertinent today because it starts small. This is us today. We're starting really small. Praise God. Because it all started with one man. It all started with Jesus. The disciples ran off on him when he was about to be crucified. It actually started in failure, didn't it? The Messiah has died. And that they weren't quite ready to comprehend that. They're grieving as though he's not returning. This was the disciples' reality. They thought it's all done, it's all dusted. And so many times throughout human history, it's almost like the church is kicked to the side. There's no power there. Why are you guys gathering? Like, don't worry. Like the days of Noah, eat, drink, be merry. Who cares? Live your life. But for us who have been drawn to the light, who have been drawn into a relationship with Christ, we stand firm. And then sure enough, more come and more come and more come. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now working in the midst of this community. And yet it might start small. Praise God. That's amazing. I love that God's ways are not our ways. And that this is how he intended that he was going to reach this community on this side of, of South Grafton. It's incredible to be a part of that. Now, someone out of the crowd asks him, as, as Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem, and I believe Jesus is almost answering that second question of those guys who are humiliated because they weren't ready for his coming. So he's explained what the kingdom of God is going to be like. It's going to be... It's going to be potentially slow, but it's going to grow big. But then what about those guys that were humiliated, those that weren't ready for his coming? What happened with them? Well, Jesus gives the warning. The, the man says to him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? I love how Jesus doesn't directly answer questions often. He gives, a, he gives the greater response. And the greater response is this. Well, who cares how many numbers are in heaven if you're not present? Like, it's going to be a tragic day when you're on the outside of the kingdom of God and you're like, you know, 50, 51, 52. Who cares? Like, you're not going to make it in, so don't ask the silly question. And there is so much of Israel, and we know this from history, who were not ready. They're not entering the kingdom because they don't see what's in front of their eyes. The Savior has come. And so Jesus answers the more important question. He says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because many, I tell you, will try and enter and will not be able. What's the narrow door? Israel had an idea of what it would be to, to be saved. And that was to, a, lot of, a lot of the case was to follow the law of Moses. 
but the law was never intended to actually get you into the kingdom. It was there to make you aware of your sin and throw yourself upon the mercies of God and say, God, I failed what you've asked of me, but I need you to get involved in my life. I need you to do something because I didn't quite know that God was going to send his very son to pay for those sins. But back in the Old Testament, they go, I need you to forgive me of my sins. We see this throughout the Psalms often. Do not hold my iniquity against me. Cover my sin, Lord. Yet these arrogant people that Jesus is coming up against are in nowhere near the ballpark. Nowhere near the ballpark. And so what is the narrow door? Well, God has revealed to us that it is only through Jesus that we, in this age, have salvation. Yes, in the Old Testament, they might not have known it, but they were looking forward to Jesus. They just didn't know the name. They didn't know the plan of God, but they were looking forward to the mercies of God. But now we look backwards to what God has done, and we say, thank you, God. I throw myself upon your grace. You have died to set me free, Jesus. You place your faith in Jesus. You repent of your sins. And this is a very, very narrow door. I can go and speak to people out on the street. I can go overseas and speak to them. And I say, where are you going when you die? There are thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of answers to that question. And yet Jesus comes along and he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty narrow. And so Jesus made it clear for these people. He says, make every effort to enter through this one way. It's quite jarring as a Christian, really, isn't it? You're literally becoming combative. When I start talking like this to people on the outside, you know what people love to say? Oh, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. And I'm like, no, no, no. Jesus said he is the truth. There's no no middle ground here. He's either a liar. I said to someone who was on the fence as well. It's quite funny. I said to to one of my friends, I said, well, either Jesus is a liar or he tells the truth and he's the only way. And you could see see the, the wheels, cogs turning. He's like, oh, Jesus never lied. But then that means he's the only way. Oh, uh, but then maybe I'm wrong. And and it was a nice way of saying, you're not right, man. But the the reason I'm doing that is because I'm like, it is a narrow way. I've got no other solution for you. Oh, I mean, as as a fleshly, sinful sense, I'd love to say, well, whatever makes you comfortable. But could you imagine a doctor doing that to us? Oh, I might not really tell this patient what's going on inside of them. I've got the x ray and it looks bad, but I'd rather them feel good then give them the bad news. You see, you don't give the bad news, there's nothing you can do to help. And as I said, the law is used, God used the law and still uses the law to point out the fact that we need a saviour. It's real jarring. You say to someone, you've not met God's standard. The word of God says that no one is righteous, no, not one. All of us fall short of the glory of God. Now come to Jesus. And I go, I don't like that, Dan. That sounds really like, you know, there's got to be other options. I'm not that bad a person. I wish I had a solution for you, another solution that, that tickled your ears, that made you feel a little bit warm inside. But honestly, the stakes are high. We're talking about eternity. And why? Because you're made in the image and glory of God. See, an animal doesn't have to suffer the same pressure that we have to suffer. For us, it's eternal separation, eternal hell, or 
eternal glory in the presence of God and his angels for all eternity, forever, forever. That's amazing. That's great. I love that the stakes are high, but not if I'm on the wrong end of it. And this is Jesus' point here in Luke 13. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door. But we've also got to remember this. He's not exactly speaking directly to us here, if I'm going to be honest. We can apply this to ourselves because we must have our own faith in Jesus. But remember, he's pointing out the Jews. We, we, can tell that he's, we can tell that he's speaking to Israel here because he says, when you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets, you see a Gentile like me, not knowing much about Israel, and I'm, I've not really read the Torah, I'd have no idea what he's talking about. I'll be like, what do you mean? But see, he's pointing out those that aren't ready. And just after we, we get to this next part, Jesus is about to almost, he's be weeping over Jerusalem, saying how much I wanted to cradle you up into myself, and yet you were not ready. You didn't see the times. And so he's having a very real go, potentially even at this man who asked the question, well, have you found the narrow way? Are you on the right path to heaven? Because there's going to come a day where you think you're going to come in. And Israel thought, well, because I'm born an Israeli, God has to accept me. I'm a child of Abraham or I'm a child of Moses. So he has to accept me. But Jesus says, not if you don't have me. You can't be accepted. You'll still be in your sin. And what does the the man that's about to throw the banquet in heaven say? Depart from me, you evildoers. There's something incredible here. All of us right now, we've contributed to the sin in this world. We've all done wrong. We know that. If you've been a Christian for five minutes, you know that you've failed in many ways. And yet he doesn't say that of those going in because they've been justified by Jesus. They've been set free of their sins because he made the payment for all their sins. And here's the kicker. In verse 29... People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their place at the feast in the kingdom of God. What he's saying here is, Israel, you're not all that God has in mind right now. God is going to pluck people from every tribe, tongue and nation and we're all together going to come into the presence of God. And that's what he means by the last shall be first and the first shall be last. The Gentile, the non-Jew was left outside for a time but now they're inside and israel's been pushed to the back and there's still a hardening over israel but i want to be honest there could be a hardening in your heart and i say today repent and believe upon jesus the spirit of god testifies with our spirit that we're a child of god and if you're struggling with that if you're even unsure whether you're going to be accepted on the day of judgment It's really good to come and talk to your pastor about that. It's really good to know that there is security in Jesus, not just a you might make it through, but that the Bible, and actually people hate it when I say this, but the Bible gives a guarantee that those who are in Christ will go to heaven. And if you're struggling with that, it's good to to figure that out because we need to come to an understanding of what the word justification actually means. When we understand it, there's there's a newness, there's a freshness in our walk with God because it's not based on maybe in, maybe out, but it's like, oh no, I'm an adopted child of God. There is no way that 
nothing, heaven, earth, angel, demon, life, death, nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ. And when you walk in that power, it's freedom. It's a breaking away from this world. It's a knowledge that the Father loves me so intimately that nothing's stripping this from me. And so I want to say to you, please talk to us if you're, if you're wrestling with doubt um, because you don't want to be this person that's knocking on the door. Jesus, I knew of you. Yeah, but you weren't in me. But Jesus, I, you know, I, I ate with the Christians. I, 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 we were friends. Yeah, but you, you didn't have me. And you don't want to find that out when it's too late. You want to get that sorted now. But also I want to remind us this, that the kingdom of God is not always bells and whistles. It's not easy. It's going to, it's going to grow progressively throughout the world. And it has. But I believe that in this church, it's going to continue to grow. The word of God will go out to these people and God will bring them. With that, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much that you had sent your Son and that he was so kind, so gentle, so merciful, yet he told the truth. And Lord, I pray that we walk in that truth, walk in that newness of life, that Lord, you would presence yourself by your Spirit and give us the seal of adoption. If any of us are struggling, Lord, thinking that we're, we're maybe, maybe going to heaven, Lord, that you would begin to awaken us out of that stupor, that we would see the life that you've given in your son is rock solid. But also, Lord, I pray for this community. Lord, I pray that the, the many that will be bashing on the door of heaven, that, Lord, they will find you before that time is too late before they're sent off away from you because of the evil that they've done when forgiveness was always on offer to them. In Jesus' name, amen.